Hi, I'm Sanjay Raghavan. We're from Roofstock OnChain, a platform that gives investors the ability to purchase tokenized single-family rental properties. And we're here on the Edge of NFT, the podcast that gives you the ability to find your true home in Web3. Keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how Roofstock is laying building blocks for a brighter future in home buying. And why we hope to pass along real estate assets to the next generation, but not necessarily our dance moves. Plus proof that humans are always going to suffer from shiny object syndrome and how to learn from it. And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the Web3 space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Jeffrey Thompson and Sanjay Raghavan of Roofstock on Chain, the platform that simplifies buying and owning property for the Web3 generation. Jeff is the Chief Blockchain Officer of Roofstock on Chain, where he leads the real estate investing platform's foray into Web3. After being accepted into Cypher Accelerator, the first of its kind Wharton-backed program for blockchain startups, Jeff continued to push the blockchain ecosystem forward through real estate investing. Jeff built his career at top-tier law firms practicing in the areas of capital markets, banking and credit, structured finance, private equity, and cross-border transactions. Jeff's prior role at Roofstock was as general counsel, where he advised on partnerships, product innovation, fundraising, deal structuring, real estate matters, securities law, international expansion, and all other legal and compliance matters. We also found he can set up a pretty good microphone and headphone setup, which is pretty awesome. Sanjay is the head of Web3 initiatives of Roostock OnChain, where he leads the real estate investing platform's blockchain initiative. After being accepted into Cypher Accelerator, Sanjay continues to build connections between real estate investing and blockchain. Sanjay is also an advisor at Pudgy Penguins NFTs. Roofstock on Chain is the Web3 subsidiary of Roofstock, the leading digital real estate investing platform for the $4 trillion single-family rental home sector. Using blockchain technology, Roofstock on Chain provides investors the ability to purchase tokenized single-family real estate properties with one click and to transact with crypto, cutting the time and cost incurred by legacy systems. Sanjay, Jeffrey, you are both wonderful audio-visual setup participants on the show. Just want to acknowledge that right up front. We were just saying before we got started, you've been our quickest setup. So you deserve that recognition. Perhaps we need to mint a special NFT for it. But <laughs> welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Guys. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Great to be here. So great to see you guys. And I spent several years developing commercial real estate out of Washington, DC. It's near and dear to my heart. It's been a part of my entire life. And I thought about and been exposed to so many different attempts to find the thread that brings blockchain and real estate together. And it's been a lot of iteration over the last several years, but it seems like you guys are really onto something here and really pumped to dive in on it. But we want to start at the beginning and, and understand how did you two meet and how did the idea 
come to be? Yeah. I mean, we met at Roofstock. We had the same first day at Roofstock. We didn't know each other prior to that, but we onboarded together. And at that time, we had different roles. Sanjay was heading up the securities group at Roofstock, and I was general counsel. We worked together on a lot of projects there, uh, had some big wins. And then over time, we morphed into a different Web3 business unit. We can get into the details on that. That's very cool. Sanjay, anything to add there? Yeah, just a funny tidbit, right? Back then, we were all in the office IRL, and there were these little plastic palm trees that they would put on the desk when a new person was joining. So you could kind of look across the office and say, oh, there's like five new guys. So that particular day, Jeff and I were the little plastic palm trees, and we got to say hi to each other. And, oh, you're the GC, okay, and I'm going to be doing security stuff. And there was a partnership that started on that day more than three years back, and it's Mm -hmm. still going strong. So... It's been great to work together. And guys, how did the move toward blockchain come about? Was that something brewing internally? Were you guys part of that initial kind of discovery team that led that? Like, how did that part of this come together? Yeah. So like Jeff and I have been sort of the tip of the spear for innovation at Roofstock for a few years now. We He mentioned together, we had built a very innovative real estate investment trust or REIT product for Roofstock. Both Jeff and I had been trying to get up to speed on what was happening on the crypto blockchain Web3 front. Jeff had been advisor to other crypto projects in the past. So our leadership team knew that we both had interest in the industry. But about 18 months back, the board actually formally asked our CEO to look into whether Web3 can really add uh, value to what we were doing in Roofstock and real estate, which was primarily trying to make it easier for people to buy uh, single family properties and do so remotely. Because if you're living in New York or LA where property prices can be in the seven figures, it may not always be possible for people to build real estate portfolios where they're living, but you could do so in Atlanta or Indianapolis, Alabama, and so on. So Roofstock's mission has always been to simplify buying real estate investment properties. And so the board wanted us to see, is there something we can do with Web3 that makes that mission, gets us closer to that mission? The two of us were asked to take this on as a research project in addition to our existing 80-hour-a-week role. And so there was an intense six months that we were looking into Web3 and came back with a clear use case that this technology does have a lot of promise. And there were enough pieces of the infrastructure already in place. For example, in 2017, While you had Ethereum and you had some of the building blocks, USDC was not yet around and you couldn't really combine USDC and Ethereum in a way that some of these transactions are possible on NFT marketplaces. So a lot of these pieces were in place for us to then add the final layer, which was creating a representation of a real world asset on the blockchain. So when we came up with the use case, the board and the leadership recognized that there was value in trying this out. And they asked us both to move out from our existing roles and created a dedicated Web3 unit and asked us to lead it. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, really cool story. And so glad that we met in New York in like the four hours I was in New York before flying over to Singapore. And when I heard about what you guys were doing, I was like, just wow. And as you guys know, I've been talking about this use case ever since because edge of utility. This has been something that's been discussed, pondered for many years. I remember Jeff and I getting pitches for this type of concept back in 2017, but people had a really hard time pulling it off. Going from philosophical, it sounds great, to the mechanics of how this works, totally different ballgame. And would love to dive in with you guys on how this actually works. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, this was a year of intense building and intense dead ends. <laughs> if I would say at least on a weekly, if not a daily basis, it felt like we got to the end of where we were going to, you know, of possibilities. And then the whole essence of building is figuring out what to do when you get to that point and how to keep going. And that's what we did repeatedly. But a lot of it really came down to structuring legal issues and putting those first, because at the end of the day, if this isn't legally enforceable, it's useless, right? I mean, the whole point is that you can use an NFT smart contract to transact real estate. And that's supposed to be in one click, like the same as buying a punk or an ape. We want that real estate transaction to happen that way and not just use the NFT as kind of redeemable that you can go then go do a traditional closing and settlement process offline. What we feel like we've helped to move the ball forward is being able to kind of re-engineer the traditional closing and settlement process and to fit it into a standard ERC-721 transaction. And of course, a lot of things have to change, right? I mean, both in the real estate aspect of it and in the ERC-721, for example, we needed to throw in a KYC, which we can get into how we did that with a soulbound token. But on the real estate side, what we had to figure out was all of these aspects of real estate that have to be true in the real world, they still have to be true for these transactions. There still has to be an inspection on the property. You still have to know if taxes have been paid. You still have to make sure that there's clean title. All of that stuff has to be part of the equation. And so what we did was basically move all of that forward in the process so that we've completed, basically completed all of the diligence for the buyer before it even becomes a listing. Unlike a traditional real estate transaction where the buyer would actually make an offer and then kick off an inspection process, which then kicks off another diligence process, which then kicks off more negotiation. We move the inspection up front. We have all of the pictures. We have records of recent renovations. We have all of that stuff that a buyer needs to know. And so at the time that they've made their purchase decision, it literally is a one-click experience. And I'll let Sanjay speak a little bit more about that and also the NFT side of things, what we had to change on the ERC. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. If you sort of look at the high level, right, what are the couple of problems that we are really trying to solve here, right? The first one is that traditional real estate settlement process takes three to four weeks for an owner-occupied property. If you're talking about an investment property, sometimes that's even longer. During these three or four weeks, there's typically, once an offer has been made and accepted by the seller, you have all these contingencies built into that offer. So there's an inspection happening, there's an appraisal happening, there's a financing contingency, et cetera, et cetera. This period is an intense period of stress for both the buyer and seller. Why? Because once the inspection results come in, you might see that there's a leak in the roof, some of the plumbing needs to be repaired, and then you're going back and negotiating price. Sometimes the buyer and seller can agree on a renegotiated price, sometimes you can't, and then the offer falls through. You have to go back and relist the property, start the process all over again. From the buyer's perspective, you may have been pre-qualified for a loan a month back, and then you might have been making offers for a month or so. And then by the time your offer is accepted, the interest rates might have shifted by then. And if you're trying to go back and get your final underwriting done, the underwriters might come back and say, you don't qualify for this loan anymore because of X, Y, and Z. Then you're trying to buy down interest rate through points and this and that. So for both the buyer and seller, this process is just intensely stressful and not a pleasurable experience. It also involves a lot of intermediaries 
takes a long time to complete and costs a lot of money. So when you look at how can you simplify that, it was really trying to, the analogy I would use there is Alibaba versus Amazon, right? You can go and pick a product on Alibaba and then hand that manufacturing to a Chinese manufacturer. They take the next four weeks to build it. Then it's put on a container ship. It comes over to Los Angeles and then it gets shipped to a warehouse and gets stuck to wherever you need it delivered. And that can take six, seven weeks. And sure, like if that's the experience you want, that's available for you. Or you can go to Amazon and you can click the button and then Amazon Prime delivers it the same day or next day or in a couple of days, right? If you want that convenience and if that convenience matters to you and you want to have that stress-free experience, then this is an elegant way to look at how single-family homes can be distributed using Web3 technologies and make things easier, simpler, faster, cheaper, more transparent, right? So that's one part of the equation. The second part of the equation is financing. Anybody who has tried to purchase an investment property and tried to get financing for that knows just how incredibly hard that process is. It's years of tax returns and pay stubs and all your bank statements and all your other retirement statements and this and that. And if you're just going through a Fannie Mae approval process, which limits the number of investment properties you can buy. So once you go outside of that limit of 10 investment properties, then you're looking at hard money lenders, private lenders, and so on, non-bank lenders. That process, it's typically much higher interest rates, involves personal guarantees often. It's not easy to get those either. So when you look at that process as well, the in the TradFi world, it's a very broken process. It's expensive, it's time-consuming. And if there is an easier way to use on-chain financing, whether it's pure DeFi or some kind of hybrid financing that allows people to get cheaper, faster asset-based financing, right? We're talking about investment properties here. If you're buying an apartment building and nobody is looking at your credit score and your income when they are underwriting the apartment building, they look at the net operating income of the building, the debt service coverage ratio, DSCR. The underwriting is done very differently for any income producing building in the commercial real estate space. But when you look at single family, if even if that home is supposed to be an income producing home, the underwriting looks at your personal credit, your income, your taxes and all that stuff. And that's also a broken process in a way, right? So through DeFi and through blockchain, we can solve that problem as well, make it, a, again, a simpler, faster, cheaper experience. So putting these two things together, it creates sort of this unbelievable convenience for the purchaser, or seller as well, but more so from the buyer's perspective, right? And we feel that that really is the thing that's going to bring over time more of the Web2 people also to focus on a new way of doing things using Web3. And the next bull cycle, bull run cycle in crypto and DeFi, we hope is led by real world assets, both ours and others, right? There are so many other interesting use cases people are working on. And we hope that all of those kind of pick up in the next cycle. That's right. Yeah. And rumor has it that folks like Bill Gates are picking up real estate like crazy right now. And I think it's been traditionally a relatively good investment over the long haul, right? And so mm -hmm. it seems like this also makes this type of investment more accessible. And that's kind of what you're saying about from the buyer side, right? Like if the owner, the seller, they've already invested in real estate in the first place or else they wouldn't be able to sell something, right? So I can see how you can leverage that side of thing and get more of the market, maybe even add stability to the real estate market by having more players involved and things like this. It's very exciting. So one yeah. other thing to add to that is we talked about the benefits for the real estate investor but if you flip that coin and look at the benefits for the Web3 and crypto investors, crypto investors who have been searching for yield generating product typically had to rely on the Voyagers and BlockFi's and 
you know, Celsius's and Terra Luna back in the day when with Anchor Protocol, they had these high interest rates. Some of those interest rates were, of course, unsustainable and based on poor risk management principles. But nevertheless, what the problem, you know, if you leave aside DeFi, which is working just fine as intended, a lot of the people that ended up using hybrid solutions or centralized solutions had to lose custody of their crypto and hand it over to somebody else to generate a yield on it. And in a lot of cases, there's been a kind of a domino effect when Genesis has a problem, there's a cascading effect that affects everybody else as well. From our point of view, rental properties are cash flowing assets. By selling them as NFTs, you can still stay in the crypto world. You don't have to off-ramp to fiat to buy these. But now you have an asset that you can self-custody and it produces rent because tenants are paying rent and you can collect that money in either in fiat if you want or in USDC or ETH. You have a way now to create a four, four and a half percent yield product without losing custody of your crypto, right? And it's completely non-correlated to the rest of the crypto markets. Its price is not going to change based on the prevailing price of Bitcoin or ETH. So we feel that almost every crypto institution, crypto treasury, it makes sense to look at real estate as a risk diversification strategy. And yes, you can be long on Bitcoin and ETH and any other L1s that you have a belief in. You can have your own native coins and all that, but it's just prudent to have 5 or 10% of your treasury allocated to a product like this where you can actually make non-correlated yield on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. There'll be more room for more diversity within crypto and NFTs as it mixes and mingles in, in DeFi with all sorts of things. So you guys recently sold your first real estate NFT purchased with USDC well, through the on-chain home financing. Can you give us a bit of details about that transaction? Sure. Yeah, you you yeah. want to start, Jeff? Yeah. 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 So that was a property that we acquired because we believe that was a good asset. We like the location. Roofstock obviously has a lot of expertise in this area. It's a very good property in the first place. And we looked at a couple of different buyers who were very close to wanting to pull the trigger. And ultimately, the person who did is based in the Southeast and a lawyer, but also into crypto, a real estate investor, but has spent some time in the space and wants to see Web3 succeed and move forward. So it was really, he was coming at it with a lot of enthusiasm and a big vote of confidence. Also, we did get him better financing terms than he could have gotten anywhere else as well. And it, like I said, it's a great property. So it was a win-win all the way around. But what was funny about that for us is we had worked so hard to close a deal, to get the deal, everything wrapped up. It was our first transaction. We're testing the pipes. And you never know for sure, for sure, if everything is going to work until you actually do it. And it worked and it was great. And a Friday afternoon, we're kind of slapping high fives and we'll take the rest of the afternoon off. We had a press embargo, a release that was embargoed until Tuesday and figured we'll just kind of have a light weekend and everything happened that we didn't expect. It was picked up on NFT stats as the most valuable NFT that was sold in that 24-hour period. And then it started popping on Twitter. And then the next thing we knew, people were making YouTube videos about it. The Milk Road picked us up and it created this little firestorm of conversation and ideas and podcasts and all kinds of marketing and PR requests, which literally that was not planned. If you were looking from the outside, there was no master plan there that just happened and we kind of fell into it. But when that happened, that was like the ultimate gratification. There is really interest in what we're doing. We've spent the whole year 
in a greenfield space, at least as far as we're concerned, just building up from first principles, not trying to emulate what other people have done with real estate in the past on NFTs. And we got to a solution that's custom and new and a lot of legal things had to be solved. And we saw that, okay, we actually did deliver something that has product market fit here. This matters. We got it right. So that's kind of how that all went down. Yeah. And again, just a sort of an interesting tidbit there. Jeff and I were going to be speaking at an event in New York on Tuesday. So Saturday and Sunday, there was a little bit of chatter on Twitter. And so we were like, okay, you know, some people have noticed it, but we're still good for our press release on Tuesday morning. And then on Monday, the Milk Road reported on it. And then a bunch of people started tweeting and sharing it. And it just went viral on crypto Twitter on Monday. I was flying from Seattle to New York and uh, connected my Wi-Fi on the plane. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a lot more than I expected to see on Monday. And I was actively answering questions because when you see the Web3 community so passionately involved and talking about it, tweeting and sharing and asking questions, the right thing to do is just drop everything else and be there to answer those questions. And I started doing that Monday morning on the flight, got into New York and went to the hotel and thought I might be able to do this for another three, four hours and still get a few hours sleep. And then I just keep going. And by the time I finish answering 100 comments, 200 new comments have shown up. And it just, after a while at like three or four in the morning, I just thought there's no way I can handle this on my own. And then when Jeff and I met up in the morning, we did our talk and we just found a corner and both of us just opened our laptops and spent the next basically two days just going through Twitter comments and answering. But it's been really gratifying to see how upbeat the crypto and Web3 community has been about this, especially in a time where there's just so much bad news in crypto all around that people really do uh, support good projects and are optimistic about it. That's very gratifying. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's quite a story. Yeah. Yeah, that's really special, guys. In that moment where you realize there's product market fit and it's been demonstrated, right? That's a special moment. You know? It was definitely, we were both really elated. And, and even since then, We've been spending most of the last couple of months at events and conferences, and we would show up somewhere and people would be like, so what are you guys into? And we'd be like, oh, we're finding ways to sell real estate easily using Web3 technologies. And have you guys heard about that South Carolina property that somebody just sold? And we'd be like, that was us guys. <laughs> so just random people so you know, know about it. And that's just immensely gratifying. Yeah. So much fun at this early stage. And as cool as it is, and as much opportunity there is in there, and as revolutionary really as it is, it's still early days, right? It is, and so absolutely. I'm curious as to, as you think about like these opportunities ahead of you, what do those look like for this platform of NFTs and Web3 and, and everything that it can do for real estate with your project? How are you guys viewing that? Like, What are the other elements that you think are going to be revolutionary here? I think we have two big buckets. One is to just scale up the NFT homes, keep selling those, help build some liquidity on the secondary markets after the sellers that have held it for a certain amount of time want to resell, seeing how those secondaries work. As part of that, we do think that this is potentially a very interesting building block for organizations in the Web3 space. Of course, for individual investors, it makes a lot of sense, but we do see a lot of crypto treasuries or the treasuries of Web3 companies that they maintain their entire treasury in crypto. They don't want to off-ramp into fiat. They pay vendors in crypto. They pay employees in crypto. And that's just the way they operate. 
And there are a lot of benefits to doing business that way. But one of the limitations is that you don't have a lot of diversity in your portfolio, right? You don't have a lot of options. If you're a protocol or a DAO or even a VC funded company that got funded in stablecoin, you don't have a place to park your money that is going to be stable, but also generate some yield. And that's what this is. This is the ultimate stable asset. This is real estate. This is a $4 trillion market in the US. We all know and love homes. Everyone, that's not scary concept to anyone. What is a little bit scary for some of the institutions is how do I manage this at scale? And that's what Roofstock does. I mean, that's the whole company that has been built up since 2015. There are 600 people at the company that do that precise activity. They source homes, they manage homes. So now as a Web3 institution, you have access to that. You can buy in crypto, you can receive your rental payments in crypto, you can sell it through an NFT marketplace anytime you want to balance your portfolio. So that's really where we would like to see this go in the next year is become more of a building block in the Web3 ecosystem as a whole. And then the other big bucket is the DeFi initiative, which Sanjay spoke about a little bit, and I'll let him go ahead and speak to that now. Yeah. And even coming back to the topic you were discussing earlier, Jeff, right? So SFR as an asset class, it's demonstrated it's a $4 trillion asset class. There's 20 million rental units in the US. And institutions have been taking chunks out, bite-sized chunks out of it for the last five, six years. But in the past, you had to be a large institution with a very big, dedicated single-family rental desk that managed all your acquisitions and all your property management and all that. It was very hard for like a private equity firm that does 10 different things and has two people allocated to the SFR strategy to go and deploy $100 million and manage those assets. And that's what Roofstock really specializes, is bringing that institutional quality acquisition, sourcing acquisition and management platform to either other institutions that don't have the same infrastructure built out or retail investors for that matter, who would never be able to scale up and build an institutional level platform of their own. So that's already there. That's been built over the last seven years. And now we can use Web3, which is really a different way of distributing these assets. We can use Web3 to attract new clients that want to get into this, but have the same infrastructure behind the scenes that's managing and taking care of all the hard work with respect to the properties itself. So that's on the SFR side. And then DeFi, of course, for a long time, I've seen how inefficient TradFi is. And Every time I read the compound white paper, I get goosebumps because it's so elegant, it's so beautifully written, and it does what it's supposed to do. And we've been looking at all the DeFi protocols, whether they're in crypto-based over-collateralized lending or any other real-world asset, non-crypto credit, et cetera. And we have a very strong idea for how a purpose-built DeFi protocol for real-world assets can work. And it's our hope that Jeff and I, in 2023, will get to spend some time to potentially even look at building out more RWA-specific DeFi protocol. But in the meantime, we believe very strongly that real-world assets do have a big role to play in DeFi in the coming future. And we want to work with other, whether it's just DeFi protocols or NFT lenders. We're talking to a bunch of these companies that all came at this from their own use cases. Like maybe some of them set up an NFT lending platform based on lending to PFP NFTs like apes and punks. And then like the NFT trading volume has fallen subsequent since last year's high, the floor prices have come down significantly. And maybe they're all looking for other use cases to also enter into, right? So there's the NFT lenders, there's the DeFi protocols themselves. 
And we want to sort of have a dialogue with all of these market participants to see where our product would be a good fit and for this to be a sort of a start to how you can start bringing in other either on-chain credit or just non-crypto assets into blockchain. You guys might have heard about Centrifuge's announcement a couple of days back. They secured a deal with Maker for $220 million for doing non-crypto credit. So we're seeing a lot of good projects get a lot of traction. And we all, I think, collectively should work on bringing kind of real-world assets into crypto and DeFi. That's how we help the industry grow next year. Right on. Yeah. And Jeff's like nodding his head because he understands these pain points intimately from a very long time in, in the world of real estate. I've purchased a few properties. One didn't work out so well. The other did. I know Ethan's done a little bit of real estate, but just so excited about how you guys are going about this and all the partnerships that you're forging. One of those is Origin Protocol, a crew we know well, great guys. And it sounds like you're working on this on-chain connect for real-world properties to the blockchain with them. How is that going to work? Yeah, I mean, look, so anytime you're looking at a real-world asset, there's going to be an on-chain component and there's going to be an off-chain component to it. For example, you can do a few things like pricing oracles and things like that, where you can use automated valuation models or AVMs to get some price indication. But if you want to know about the condition of the property, somebody has to go to the property and do an inspection and take updated pictures and so on. So when we look at how we can make this experience seamless for people in Web3, part of it is having a marketplace, an NFT marketplace, where it's easy to, you know, a little bit more user-friendly than, say, the more generic NFT marketplaces. So here, for example, as Jeff mentioned earlier, one of the things we do need to do is add a layer of KYC because ultimately you're buying an LLC and that LLC has a property in it. Under existing laws, we do need to know who you are. We can just sell an LLC to a Russian oligarch, for example. So the way we do that is you come to the website onchain.roofstock.com and then mint a membership token. And the membership token is also an ERC721, but it's designed to be a soul bound. And then you can come and opt in to get KYC. And when you that is done with a third-party uh, provider, we don't get involved in that ourselves. So Jumio does the KYC. It can be done in under a minute for most people living in the US. Once that's done, we go and update your soulbound token with a KYC flag or a verified buyer flag. And so if you're a non-verified buyer and you're looking to buy one of these NFTs in a NFT marketplace, what happens is in the smart contracts transfer function, we very, we check to see if the KYC flag is on or not. And if it's not on, then the transfer fails. And so you will basically see this sort of nasty message in your <laughs> show up in your wallet, you know, when that transfer fails. The stuff that Origin is doing is making it a little bit more, they're sort of trying to be the Shopify of NFT marketplaces by customizing just a little bit to make the user experience more pleasant, right? So for example, in this case, like when that exception comes across, they'll tap that exception and show a nicer message saying, hey, you need to follow this link to go here, get KYC before you try to buy this property. So we think of Origin as sort of the, they're trying to be the Shopify of this world as opposed to the Etsy of this world, right? On Etsy, you can kind of go and there's multiple vendors selling multiple things and you sort of, it's a similar look and feel. Shopify is a little bit more customized, right? So we sort of look at them as the guys who are trying to become the Shopify's for the NFT marketplaces. So that that partnership's going great. And then something like this, I mean, I mentioned earlier that it's a whole stack of infrastructure that needs to be in place to allow something like this to happen. And so part of that is, for example, if you think about payment crypto on-ramp and off-ramp, 
it's not easy to go and buy 100,000 USDC if you're a retail investor. So we have a partnership with Wire and Wire allows easy conversion back and forth between fiat and crypto for us. So that's been working phenomenal. And then, as we mentioned earlier, this first sale was done with financing through Teller. And that's an amazing group of individuals as well who will make heaven and earth move to get things done. And we met the CEO of Teller at the Converge conference in San Francisco end of September, and the sale happened mid-October. So in a couple of weeks, they were able to string a solution together that made this happen, which selling a property as an NFT is, is a new and novel, especially if you're settling it on an NFT marketplace. There's no other documents to sign behind the scene. But when you add financing to that, it just makes it magical. And so we're very grateful for all these industry participants who have all built various solutions and infrastructure pieces. And now we have the opportunity to come to the table with a new protocol, a new way of selling rental properties and just stringing all these market participants together to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm also struck by a lot of the pieces here, how it's kind of harder before it gets easier, right? If you look at software as a service, how huge that market's become, but it started with I want to do all this accounting on paper. Oh, I know there's a better way to do it with software, but then somebody's got to go in <laughs> and write the software to do the accounting and handle all the exceptions, like you're saying, and get it all together. And thankfully, you guys and Origin are working on that, right? That's right. To make it easier for everyone. In the Web2 world, we sort of often think about how companies operate as build everything yourself, right? Like if you need a marketplace, most people will try to build the marketplace themselves. If you're an enterprise level customer, and then, of course, the smaller mom and pop shops, they do use the Etsy's and other kind of solutions that are available. With Web3, I think one of the greatest benefits is so many different people in the industry have had incredible ideas for vision of a better future, and they've all built little widgets and tools to make that happen. And now you have the benefit of sort of saying, oh, we have all these companies that, and there's a way to sort of string them together in a specific way to solve a real world use case. And mm -hmm. so that's super exciting. Beautiful. Aside from partnership with Origin, I know you're partnering with Wire, Cypher, others. Any other collaborations we should keep an eye out for in the future here? We'll try to integrate with some additional DeFi lenders. There's always need for debt capital and real estate. So the vision that we have for that is something of a marketplace where different lenders come with different terms and each borrower chooses what suits them best. One of the advantages of DeFi is that it can be much more flexible in terms of the loan terms than traditional loans. And so we expect to see some interesting structural choices there, and we'll see how that develops as we bring more lenders on. Yeah. And we've been fortunate to be accepted by the Web3 community. We have good relationships with folks at Compound and Maker and Maple Finance and so on. And so we do on a regular basis, talk to a lot of these guys to understand what they're working on, what challenges they're facing. And eventually, yeah, we do think it's going to be a collective effort to bring more real-world assets into Web3 and DeFi. But once that happens and people really see that convenience, I think that's when the switch will flip for the more Web2 customers to sort of start adopting Web3 as a new way of doing things. So we're really optimistic and enthusiastic about that. Especially people that have just gone through the traditional purchasing process and feel the pain of it in that, like, really exactly. kind of present moment, right? Like they'll be like, what? You could do what? They did what? How quick was it? How easy was it? And we are having those conversations, interestingly, right. with traditional roof stock buyers as well, who are right. like, 
wait a minute, yeah. I just heard about this. Is this real? Like, can you guys do properties for me this way? And so, yeah, it's starting to happen. And I hope it matures in the coming months and more people get to know about it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, before we head to our next segment and close this one out, anything else to share about where you're at with Roofstock, what's coming next? And we've covered a lot of ground. Oh, anything else? Uh, so it's really exciting. We are closing our second property in the collection that's happening this week as we speak. So we will start renovating that and getting it prepared for a tokenized sale in the coming weeks. And we actually hope to document some of that renovation process just as an educational tool for crypto natives who might be afraid and they might be on the sidelines about real estate. They might have heard it's a good alternative investment, but they're just afraid to get in because they don't understand what it means to buy and own and manage real estate. So we want to try and educate the community a little bit about it. And so we're going to probably do a series of educational content drips on that in social media over the coming weeks. Amazing. Exciting times. Congrats on number two. So many more to come, guys. Well, again, appreciate you sharing all the details. Really exciting stuff. And our listeners are going to be pumped about this if they're not familiar with it already. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you receive that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. But we do want to shift gears a little bit and move to our next segment, which is called Edge Quick Hitters. It's just a fun and quick way for us to get to know you a little bit better. Short questions, only 10 of them, short responses, but we may dive a little bit deeper here or there. You guys ready to jump in? Let's Absolutely. Do it. All right, Jeff, let's start with you. Question okay. number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Star Wars action figure, circa 1981. This would be the original Star Wars action figure. <laughs> All right, you got you got you got any of these like you know still floating around? They are carefully packed up in the garage. Yes. All right. <laughs> Congrats. That's awesome. Sanjay, how about you? I'd say I probably did not come from as affluent a family as Jeff, so I only had enough money for a piece of candy. <laughs> candy it is. You, what's your go-to these days? You're still a candy guy? <laughs> no, it's probably more ice cream these days, but... You know. All right. We all got our sweets. That's right. Jeff, question number two. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? I sold a uh, Spider-Man comic to my friend when I was maybe eight or nine. That was a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, there's that collectible theme going on over there. You got it. Yeah. Very <clears> cool. Sanjay, how about you? I actually worked on a deal to sell some t-shirts to a college when I was out of high school and was looking to make a little extra money. And the deal didn't go so well. I actually lost a bunch of money on it, but I did make a sale. <laughs> All right. Learned yeah, a valuable yeah. life lesson. That's, That's right. right. Exactly. It didn't stop you from wanting to be in the <laughs> transaction business. That's right. 
Indeed. All right. Question number three, Jeff. Mm. What's the most recent thing you purchased? Ooh, a ton of holiday presents. Does that count? It does. That it is okay. that time of year, Obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Did, did you pick out something for yourself too? <laughs> no, I have not. It's always tempting when you see those sales. So I got one for you, one for me. Yeah, there's that new ledger, the updated ledger. That looks kind of sexy. I might have my eye on that. The pre-sale, That's, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Sanjay, how about you? Most recently so, purchased. Yeah, last night I went and bought a bunch of Starbucks gift cards for the uh, staff and teachers at my kids' school. So sitting and writing notes last late last night and went and dropped it off this morning. So Nice. Uh, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Question number four, Jeff. What's the most recent thing you sold? I sold a catio. A catio is a patio for cats. <laughs> we, <laughs> that is we a have, good one. <laughs> we have five Maine Coons and they enjoy their outdoors oh, nice. time. And we had a catio, which we sold and upgraded. Do you Amazing. guys know about the Maine Coons? I just learned about this recently. Josh, Jeff? No. What, so what they're, is it? they're cats, but they're huge. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it depends on the actual cat. One of our fans has one that I met on Discord. But anyways, yeah, they're like really huge. And there's all these pictures of people on the internet holding a mancoon. And it just looks like it's photoshopped because the cats are so giant. Yeah, that's what I love about them. They're 25 pounds or even more. So they're bigger than small dogs for sure, than lap dogs. So, so they can hold their own, but they're facing off against a little pup. Is that what you're saying? Oh, easily, yeah. easily. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, see, in amazing. my neighborhood, bobcats run around freely, and but we don't keep them at home. Wow. All right. I'm first checking ca- out first some of these called pictures. Cat- a catio, that's what it was? Yeah. Catio. First catio. First catio. Uh, to <laughs> vocab vocab for today's. Yeah, vocab for today's episode. One hundred percent. Over two hundred episodes. <laughs> first introduction. Nice. All right. I'm looking at one of these mancoons, and it's like as big as a like five foot adult. These things are crazy. <laughs> when crazy. they stand up, yeah. When they stretch out and stand up, yes. Amazing. <laughs> oh my god. All right, we'll get back on track here, Sanjay. What's the most you know, recent thing you sold? <laughs> I don't have one of those uh, catio experiences. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go with 149 Cottage Lake Way in Columbia, South Carolina. There we go. Nice. There nice. You go. Hey, that's solid, though. That's a good claim to fame. <laughs> Question number five. Jeff, what's your most prized possession? I'm going to go with this, my wedding ring. All right. Or I think it speaks for itself. but It um, does? Yeah. My wife has a couple of different cultures. So her name's written in this in three different languages. Um, mm. inside so oh, i didn't know that about you jeff so mm-hmm. it's glad to hear about it at the edge of nft super, super, <laughs> super cool hope you get some points for that answer also <laughs> <laughs> sanjay how about you brother yeah i don't know if i'd call it possession but i'm really thankful for my family i think it keeps mm-hmm. me anchored and focused on what i need to do personally and professionally so i'm grateful for that very much appreciate that so we'll flip the order a little bit here as we proceed. So Sanjay, we'll start with you. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service, or an experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you got your eye on? I'd say I'm not one of those guys that needs fast cars or fancy yachts and stuff. I'd just buy a portfolio of real estate homes that can produce cash flow. I'll put it in the family trust so it can fund a 529 account for my kids' college. And when they go to college, I'll actually give it to them so it, it helps them with their living expenses. Beautiful. I like that answer. Yeah. I'm going to go with a beach house. <laughs> no, wait, can, beach I, can I also take the beach house? There's no limit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a particular uh, beach you're interested in, Jeff? 
Anyone where the water is warm and clear. I'll, All I'll right. take it. Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's one called Siesta Key. That's not <laughs> there may shabby. be some deals in the Bahamas these days, right? Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. apparently. <laughs> Well, I'll go yeah. with uh, probably go with Kanapali in Maui. That's oh, my yeah. favorite. Haunt. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Question number seven. Sanjay, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? That hard work. There's no real substitute for hard work. And I hope my kids learn that. And these days I find it a little odd that a lot of people feel entitled for things and have in a way forgotten the value of hard work. I hope my kids retain that from me and understand. There's really no substitute. You have to work hard to achieve things in your life. Roger that. Roger that. Jeff, how about you? At the risk of being boring, exact same answer. The mm -hmm. ability to work really hard for long periods of time. I definitely want my kids to have that. Yeah, right on. Totally understood. You guys are good partners. Question number eight. Sanjay, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Probably procrastination. And it's Partly because when I'm working really hard, there's just little things that fall off the cracks and I'm not able to sometimes add like, I have a hot tub that I haven't cleaned in <laughs> a couple of months now. So I, my <laughs> kids keep asking, when can I jump into the hot tub? And I'm like, give me another week. <laughs> so I hope I can get better at balancing some of those things and not procrastinating and pass that on to my kids. Mm, yeah, I can relate. Jeff, how about you? I would definitely not want to pass on <laughs> my dance moves to my kids. That's not <laughs> That's an area I excel. <laughs> yeah well maybe we'll have a chance to see what no, the sir. story is there <laughs> at an nftla or something <laughs> that's <there>. right <laughs> okay now it has to happen right yeah. I mean, we, we all have to be judges of whether that's a trade you want to pass or not so nftla it is there could be an epic dance off between josh and jeff i think so <laughs> oh, man. i have a story about terrible dances i don't even think i communicate it you have to see i, I think we should talk about this on yeah. social media and start selling tickets yeah. let's do um, it this I'm is the, yeah i'm just gonna try to communicate this very quickly <laughs> so i used to study birds right i did a phd in biology neuroscience and birds and there's a dancing cockatoo that got a lot of attention because they wrote a paper about it because it could dance to a beat and that's like very impressive like right. a the bird can dance to a beat wow this right. is amazing and it's like groundbreaking right mm -hmm. and so it was on a stage at the world science festival the dancing cockatoo is dancing to like the backstreet boys or something <laughs> like this and had a panel of college professors and researchers, very awkward people. And the moderator of the panel kind of gets up and starts dancing with the cockatoo. And then all of the people on the panel start dancing with the cockatoo. <laughs> it was literally the most awkward dance situation I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so all we need to do is bring a cockatoo to... Uh... Yeah. You know, NFDLA, and then we're yeah. all set. Yeah. Listen, Jeffrey, if you want to feel better about your dance moves, look it up. It's on. It's online somewhere. World Science Festival, Cockatoo. Yeah. Look it Something up. that's yeah. even more cringe than, than myself. That's great. <laughs> right, right, right. Nice. Right. And all you right, can move. pick your music, Jeff. It doesn't have to be Backstreet Boys. Okay. <laughs> right. yeah. I'm supportive of something else. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look forward to that one. All right, guys, moving on. Question number nine, a little easier here. Sanjay, what'd you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was actually trying to catch up on some DeFi white papers. Mm. And then one other thing, somebody announced today that President Trump was dropping NFTs. And I went up <laughs> to look which company was issuing these NFTs. And it was NFT INT LLC registered in Delaware. 
And then I just tweeted and said, if somebody can wants to go and research this company and see, learn more about it, here's the company that's doing the job. Yeah. That video is something else. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Yeah, unfortunately, I saw that too. You just, <laughs> you can't unsee it. No, I was reading some of the pleadings that have been filed in the FTX case. Yeah. Gosh, that thing is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. All right, guys. Last one. Question 10, Sanjay. What are you doing next after the podcast? Go back on my uh, DeFi white paper reading. All right. Back to it. Jeff, how about That's you? Right. Yeah. We have another round of edits to our transaction documents, which I'm holding the pen on at the moment. All right. There it is. All right. Well, that's Edge Quick Hitters. We appreciate it. Good stuff. Good answers. Lots of fun. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio. And you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right. This full service, soup to nuts, end to end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you. Yes, you, Randy. Launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. We have some hot topics, I think, Let's lined up topics. here. Get hot. jump over to that, E. Sure. First one, Bieber Madonna named in lawsuit alleging Yuga Labs NFT scheme. A number of celebrities, including Bieber, Paris Hilton, Jimmy Fallon and Madonna were named as plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit alleging that Yuga Labs NFT collections were misleadingly promoted and resulted in financial damage to the defendants. The hash uh, panel discusses the implications of celebrity endorsements in the crypto space. So it's interesting. If I'm reading this right now, the celebrities are like kind of crying foul here. No, no. I, I think the headline is misleading. I think the celebrities would be the defendants and whoever's suing them would be the plaintiffs. Yeah. I yeah. think if I understood that correctly, they're, they're alleging that these were promoted by celebrities and probably the celebrities either weren't disclosing that they were getting a paid in connection with the advertisement, or they made some misleading claim about this is only going up or whatever. It all depends. It's all very facts and circumstances dependent, but generally this is really tends to be just people who are trying to 
recover their losses after they made a risky bet. And they knew what they were getting into and they're just trying to find a way. To- I think it's largely an opportunistic play to try and see if you can shake down the celebs for some money. But I think the broader question to think about here is if a project is a pure PFP project, it, it has utility. Like, for example, if you own apes, you can attend ApeFest and there's some utility to that. Technically, you're buying it because you're getting some personal utility out of it and you're putting some value to that utility and that's how you're transacting these but where it gets a little bit confusing is if some celebrity comes and says like i have one of these and you should look into getting one of these and somehow in the minds of people especially like traders if they're thinking well like if jimmy fallon has one of these maybe it's going to go up in value so i should buy one now and sell it tomorrow and make a profit that dilutes this whole the, the discussion then starts going in a different direction and that's why I think in this particular lawsuit, the lawyers are alleging that the NFTs were a sale of security because the buyers may have had some expectation of profits and then they ended up making losses. They felt like they had been drugged by the celebrities, right? But having said that, to Jeff's point, I think these are probably just like opportunistic shakedowns. Personally, I would feel more comfortable if celebs don't get involved in trying to shill projects. Most notably now, in the recent past, you guys might have heard about Mr. Wonderful coming and saying, all kinds of things, uh, praising SBF and saying that Binance and CZ really cost FTX to go down. And he was paid $15 million to be a spokesperson for FTX. So a lot of this sort of becomes tricky because when you have these kind of role models talk about projects, you may not do the diligence yourself and just go with what your role models are saying. And so my preference would be just to keep everything clean. I would much rather the celebs don't get involved in these kinds of things. But Having said that, I think most of these class action lawsuits will probably just fizzle out in the next in, few years. In fact, to your point, like the news of the day previously was about Kim Kardashian getting sued in relation and Floyd Mayweather in relation to Ethereum Max. Ethereum Max didn't go so well, and it was an extremely speculative project. But California dismissed that lawsuit, stating that investors are expected to sort of act reasonably before placing bets on the zeitgeist of the moment. And California's a little little bit more on the liberal side of things, Jeffrey, I'm sure you would say. But I think we as a society want our cake. We want to eat it too, right? Like we want the freedom to invest our money how we want and be responsible citizens. And with that comes the potential of additional risk that you don't get from buying a bond. But even bonds are risky. Everything's risky at the end of the day. This yeah. goes all goes back to the classic logical fallacy of appeal to authority, right? I mean, here I'm seeing online argumentum ad vericundium, the fallacy of appealing to the testimony of an authority outside of a special field. Anyone can give opinions or advice. Fallacy only occurs when the reason for a sentence inclusion is based on the on following the improper authority. All these celebrity endorsements of anything should be taken with a grain of salt, right? Yeah. And they're all financed usually. Oftentimes there's a payment involved and it really means nothing, right? For a basketball player to endorse a shoe or a soda or whatever, it really means very little. It works. That's what it means. It does work. People do fall prey to this fallacy, but it doesn't actually mean there's any value to anything. And that's the responsibility of the buyer beware, right? Bonus points for finding the Latin phrase. I've never yeah, heard that before. You know, I found cool. this, there's this thing called Google. So, uh, you know, also <laughs> when, you, when, when you have a PhD in biology, you probably come across yeah, some Latin. If you've got a Latin it. around yeah. every day. You have to take the GRE, you come across <laughs> these things. Yeah. Ethan knows lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I got stuff. So let's hit the next headline, guys. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Polygon's NFT market demonstrates signs of significant increased adoption, but not growth in sale volume. So there's increased adoption thanks to its collaborations with name brand companies such as Reddit. And despite the crypto winter, the first time returning buyers per day in Polygon's NFT market reached a new all-time high during the last month of the year per data from blockchain analytics platform Nansen. And the surge comes as NFT ecosystems on other chains, such as Ethereum and Solana, have decreasing number of uses. The users per week, though, dropped from over 160,000 users in late September to less than 60,000 users today, while Ethereum users per week dropped only roughly 250,000 users to some 183,000 users in the same time period. So some moving forward, some moving backward. What's the point they're making there? Increased adoption, but decreased in users. What's the difference between adoption and users? I think the idea is there's new new blood in the game, but the new blood that was there a few months ago ain't there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's I, the idea. I think the way I interpret this, and this is just my opinion, is that on Polygon, especially, I've seen a lot more sort of fun projects take off, right? And people buy these for whatever reasons, or they get airdropped, or you just mint them for free. But then they may not be necessarily, in every instance, tradable assets, right? What makes an NFT project a good tradable asset is, in my opinion, there's really only two things. One is just how strong is the founding team? What is their vision? Are they How are they working towards implementing that vision that continues to increase value to that project and to the community? And then the second is just how actively is your community involved in that project, right? Even the blue chips like apes and punks, I mean, their floor prices dropped significantly since 2021. In general, I think NFT trading volume itself, you know, is down like 90% based on some reports. And it's ultimately, I think the NFT industry is going to have to reinvent itself a little bit because I think the days of just throwing money at NFT projects without fully understanding the vision of the founders I think in some sense that those days are over because these days, especially if you guys follow, I mean, NFT projects all the time, projects come, they have a sort of a pre-mint price. And then like the floor drops almost immediately after the mint is done because people sort of have this expectation that the price is just going to keep going up. But the founders have to work on new innovations and whether it's dropping additional collections or creating IRL events or partnerships and like all of these things have to come to fruition and the community has to continue to see value in the projects. So that's what's going to keep the trade volume up. And so I do think in some sense, like you'll still, some of the blue chips obviously will survive this crypto winter and then coming out of it, they might come up with innovative ideas. Like Yuga obviously came out with other deeds and with all those other plans they have to create a metaverse and then allow even other NFT projects to interact with the metaverse and stuff. But projects are going to have to keep innovating and coming up with new things. And that's what's going to keep the trade volume going. Otherwise, these eventually at some point, trade volumes fall, the floors fall. And then once it becomes for most of these other projects, once the value is sub one ETH, then it's sort of in a death spiral and there's really nothing to revive them at think, that point. Yeah. I think one thing to elevate is regardless of the project, for folks seeing success right now, there's really important elements there to study and understand like the why behind that. And it's really hard to pull something off that is successful or is sustainably successful in this market. If you don't have real value, there's not something underlying and underpinning it. And it's worth all of us, I think, looking around when we see these things happen to, to try to 
you know, try to peel a couple layers of the onion back and understand what's happening there and some of that why. And I think we're going to find in most cases, there's real value being created for folks on both sides of the table. And it just comes down to that. And all those projects that weren't creating, you know, real value that fell by the wayside, by the wayside for a reason. So yeah, high level, I, that's, that's exactly. a macro thing I take away from I, this. Yeah, I agree. I also think that humanity is a victim of shiny object syndrome. I think that we have been and always will be, whether it's some kind of new toy or a new game or a new app or Lenza. I think we were fascinated by this technology and people got a little bit overzealous. And I'm not sure that this won't happen again. There could be an iteration of a web 4.0 or a new type of NFT that causes a hysteria again. I just hope that we remember some of what happened here and get a little bit smarter about asking the hard questions. I mean, we had an ICO boom and some major, major projects like EOS have not lived up to their hype, but some have. Like Tezos is holding strong. Filecoin is still doing amazing things. And if we could just all remember that one out of a hundred of these projects will live on to stand the test of time, I think we can embrace the moment, celebrate the innovation, the disruption, but also sort of keep our hype in check. Yeah, no, that's a great point. How do you see Polygon from your perspective of being deep into the NFT space? Is that a promising chain for NFTs? Does it bring something that others don't? I want want to say, by the way, that the headline here, I'm parsing it out. There was growth in users, but not growth in sale volume, which also means that basically the sale volume per user was lower. So people are coming in at a lower price point, which is less risky. Yeah. And by the way, like I think the CEO of Polygon said that was a good thing because it's a more stable thing. I think when you look at like chains like Solana and Polygon and Avalanche, in Cosmos, in addition to some of the new ones like Aptos and Sui, not to mention Clayton, all these chains are really interesting because you have some really smart people and really passionate developers and creators that are supporting all of them. And I think Polygon has that potential just based on what they've built in sort of the community that supports them. At the same time, I think Ethereum's looking really good right now. The major hurdle there was gas prices in congestion, and we had consensus on celebrating the merger. And I think it's going to require these other chains to keep innovating, to differentiate between them and Ethereum and them from each other. So I don't have a long-term prediction. I would just say that there's no indication that they're going to sort of fade off into the sunset. I think it's a matter of seeing how this year shakes out. It's hard to predict. I can't opinion. think we can say mm-hmm. having worked or collaborated with them in a number of different ways, that it's a sharp group of people that I think have aligned core values and are working genuinely to try to create value for their community and do things that will build the ecosystem. And if you're going to place bets on who's going to succeed in doing that, I think it's folks like that, that you want to support. And I think by and large, those guys have demonstrated that time and again over the last several years. So solid group of folks. We don't know who the winners will be or not ultimately, but I like to bet on people above all else. Yeah, no, I I totally concur with that as well. I think there's some really interesting, fun projects 
getting launched on Polygon. Obviously, the like we've heard about the sports stuff and all that, but I'm close to the PUBG guys and they're up to something as well. So it'll probably be announced shortly. They're going to be doing some stuff on Polygon. Nice. A little intel there. Should we hit the one more hot topic real quick, guys, or should we move on? We think. Sure. Let's do it. That's right. the last one. Very quick. It is interesting. Headline says gamers are more interested in earning Bitcoin than NFTs. And researchers found that 67% of respondents to a study are more likely to play f- free games if the games offered crypto rewards. Out of the survey of participants, 45% believe there are benefits in being able to trade game characters and items with other gamers, while 23% said that it may have a negative impact. Remaining 32% did not comment. Apart from these, the study also found 27% of respondents are interested in earning Bitcoin in games, while only 5% are interested in earning NFTs. It suggests that more gamers are interested in getting Bitcoin and play to earn games than simply getting NFTs. Fascinating. I mean, they're sort of both well, taking a beating lately. So, I, yeah, mean, I mean, look, do you want like a dollar in your pocket or do you want a digital item I think it depends on the psychology of the gamer and why they're playing the game. And I want a roof stock game where I can start to earn shares in my investment property. I'll take that, man. That sounds pretty awesome. We'll add that to the roadmap. But yeah, you can't equate like Bitcoin and NFTs, the category of NFTs. You know, yeah, you're it's asking like, a yeah, it's what a bit is of the NFT? Question. That you know, yes. if you told me I, apes. If, you, if that was the question, yeah, apes right. is going to win. You know, <laughs> that's right. What I find fascinating about all this is. During the pandemic in Asian countries, Axie Infinity became a way of earning money for your family because a lot of people didn't have jobs. They couldn't leave their houses and they started getting into this. And essentially, they made two, three hundred dollars a month. And that was more money than they'd ever made before. And I think that started a trend for these play to earn type games. And in, in some ways, when you think about Web3, which is really read, write, own Like if you're going to be doing something, I mean, like, for example, even with Brave, the browser, if you're going to be using their browser, you start getting some rewards for doing that, that can be monetized. So similarly, if you think about gaming, again, some people will obviously want to play just for the fun of it, the utility of it. And for them, the in-game assets, NFTs could be useful because you can transfer those or you can trade those or sell them. But if people are looking at it as a way to make some extra income on the side, I mean, it certainly makes sense that they would want to be paid in Bitcoin for that. Yeah, there's a little bit of contradiction here, too, I think. I mean, every question is different. But if 45% believe there are benefits to trading game characters and items, then you would think the same 45% would like those to be NFT connected. Well, I think it depends on whether they're earning that and then they're able to trade it, right? Versus if you have to buy it and then trade it. But yeah, I guess there's probably going to be two different kind of classes of players, ones that are doing it for fun and would be looking at trading opportunities, and then the others that actually want to use it as a side hustle and, and make some money. Yeah. And by the way, I think it gets pretty close to like gambling at that point, depending on where the money that they're earning comes from, right? If they're paying to play the game and then they have a chance of earning it back, essentially it becomes a little bit of a circuitous game of bingo. Now, if it's coming from advertisers and the game is just so amazing that there's all this advertising money in that ecosystem, I think it's different. And also like, where's the proof of work? As long as they're working to get it, I think it's interesting, but I don't know if it's necessarily good for the long-term health of the gaming industry to start just handing out Bitcoin Mm -hmm. to everyone that wins. (laughs) No. Right, right. 
I do completely agree with you on if it's advertiser funded revenues that are being shared with the users of the platform, that's a healthy thing. But use cases where you have to buy in to play in the game and then you get paid out of it for playing. I think those become dangerous because the only way you can make money in a sustained fashion and something like that is if you keep growing your user base that keeps buying in. And at some point, that curve is exponentially, you might get the early adopters and it might work for the first few months. But once that peaks out, then you've got all these people who have put in money into the game and the distributions are really low and meaningless, right? So like, I don't know what the latest deal is with Steppen, but for a while, people were buying their virtual shoes and walking every day so they could make money. Unless you keep growing Steppen user base and they're all buying shoes all the time, virtual shoes, I don't know how how much you can distribute over time. And by the way, like, is there that much difference between that in the late night Sunday poker game at the casino where it's the same 20 guys that always show up and they're basically just recycling each other's money and giving a little bit of money to the house every week? That's exactly right. It's a good analogy. Yeah. All right. Well, oh. I think we successfully got through those hot topics. Lots of interesting conversation there. And thanks for participating so actively, guys. Of course. Appreciate it. It's fun. So our next segment is a little bit of fun as well. Quick one, but very nice. We always enjoy a shout out segment. And I understand you guys have a couple of folks you might be interested in giving a shout out to. Got anybody special in mind? Just to preface it, I think it's a great idea. You guys are the only ones that have this concept as far as I know. Super, super good. Everyone works so hard in this ecosystem and there's just never enough time to call out everyone who's done the work. And so I think Hats off to you guys for just even having that concept. That's right. And we do have someone in mind. I'll let Sanjay speak to that. Yeah, no, I think both Jeff and I unanimously agreed that if we had to recognize one person, that would be Lorenzo Melendez, who is the CTO currently of Pudgy Penguins. But Jeff and I met him earlier this year when we were accepted into the Wharton Cipher Accelerator, and he was part of the cohort there. And immediately, like he's a 22-year-old kid or something at the time, now he's a little bit older. But we recognized immediately that this guy had this immense wealth of knowledge about Web3, Solidity, Ethereum, that we would not be able to acquire ourselves in a lifetime of learning. <laughs> it's a whole different generation when, you know, in middle school, you were building mining rigs and you were mining shit coins or whatever. And you've just been, you've grown with that whole Web3 ecosystem and you've not had to, like in my case, I'm almost 50. So I predate even web one. (laughs) I was there before the web and then like web one and web two. And now I'm trying to get smart about web three, but there's this entire generation that just grew up on web three and they're amazing. They're knowledgeable. They're superstars. And Lorenzo was instrumental to this project going from inception to execution in such a short time. Uh, We couldn't have done it without him. So Jeff, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think you said it well. Awesome. And looks like on socials, it's fun to try to say at zero X low Mel, L-O-M-E-L. So good luck finding Lorenzo on socials. (laughs) But yeah, and that's always great. This is part of this segment I always enjoy is it's just people that might be under the radar for everyone, you know, someone else to look up. You listen to the show, you go check something out. So that's great. We really appreciate that. All right. Should we wrap up, Jeff? You want to take care of that? I think so, guys. Yeah. First, let's just make sure that we let folks know where to follow you and the project. So if you had socials you'd like to share, please spread the word for our listeners. So, yeah. So um, yeah, go ahead. At underscore G Tomps on Twitter and Sanjay. Yeah. I'm uh, at ETH underscore S-A-N-J-A-Y. And more importantly, our project is at R-S on chain. 
And we'd love for more people to be part of the community. 2023 is going to be great. We're going to start with this product, where this house we're buying in Georgia. And Jeff and I will hopefully fly over and make a trip there and meet up with the construction crew that's working to rehab it once we purchase it. And we'll start documenting some of this and sharing everything there's to know about this house that's coming up soon. So yeah, follow us and be part of the journey. Amazing. Yeah, we'll be keeping a close eye there. Hey, word on the street also is they've got a little giveaway that we put together as well. Would you guys like to share a little bit about that? Sure. So we have commissioned an artist to come up with five custom NFTs. So he's going to like draw because we're in real estate. These are going to be homes and we'll probably have like different landscapes like seaside, mountain, desert, whatever. And we'd like it to be something that's original, custom, and not just something that was just quickly generated. So it's going to take a couple of weeks or so for the artist to finish all the work and get these things done. But we'd love to offer those five NFTs to the audience here. And you guys can probably help us with that in terms of like we will liking, sharing content and stuff like that. And if you guys can help pick the winners, that would be fantastic. We'll definitely lead it. We'll get all the details out on socials around that. Super generous of you guys. Really appreciate that. I feel like one of them should have those plastic palm trees that you guys (laughs) exchange. Good. I love it. Yes. (laughs) We have to locate those if they still have them at the office, Jeff. That would be a good They were inflatable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right, guys, I think that's a wrap on this spotlight sponsored episode. I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Guys, thanks so much for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.